We come this morning to our sermon passage. We're in uh, John 15, and um, I mentioned this last week, but just to catch us up to speed where we are. So the Gospel of John goes along at a pretty fast clip. It's three years of Jesus' ministry, and there's all these scenes. Well, it hits John 13, and it freezes to a halt. And John 13 through 17 is all a couple of hours on one night. Jesus, is, Jesus knows he's about to face his crucifixion. He knows his disciples are going to be scattered and terrified. And he is leaving them with words um, so that they uh, can know none of this is on accident. Um, that he is going into what he's going into for them and for their good. So with that said, we, our passage this morning is John 15 verses 18 through 25, and then 16, 1 through 11. Um, it's printed for you in your bulletin. John 15, 18 through 25, 16, 1 through 11. This is God's Word. Good, beautiful, and true. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have loved you as one of its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is... They have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this. So that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, even when the words seem confounding, that we can meditate on the words that you said. And with the help of your spirit, we can uh, have our hearts and minds illumined to see with greater clarity your light. So in these moments, as we attend to the treasure of Scripture, teach us, train us, and turn our hearts to you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, Netflix released this series that became their biggest uh, TV hit ever, Stranger Things. Big Stranger Things fan. Um, I'm not going to get too far in it, so if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to do any spoilers or whatever. But in Stranger Things, it focuses in on this group of kids. I think they're like 11 years old. They live in this small town in Indiana, and they are, uh, they're just normal kids. And then one day, kind of out of nowhere, they discover that there is a parallel universe right alongside theirs 
where everything is wrong. And this parallel universe is kind of out to get them. They call it the Upside Down. And the Upside Down is a place where uh, nothing works right. Like every animal that's in the Upside Down is out to get them. Every plant in the Upside Down is out to get them. Like nothing works right. Everything is fundamentally wrong in the Upside Down. It's a world that seems set up for darkness, decay, and death. And when the kids first get there, they don't realize like they're in a full-blown parallel universe where everything's wrong. They're just kind of confused about what's going on. And there's a scene in the first season where you're, you're, you're like watching the kids and it zooms out. And suddenly you discover like it isn't just one small area. This is a whole thing. There is a whole world of the upside down where everything is wrong. I bring all this up because part of what happens and part of what happened when Jesus came into the world and taught and when Jesus came into the world and was doing the actions of healing and deliverance that he did, it was like this zooming out. His words and his actions zoomed out and showed that the problems of our world are much deeper than they may seem at first. That in a fundamental way, our world is upside down. Things do not work the way they're supposed to. I could go through a laundry list of things, but just think about it. Like in our relationships with each other, we're not supposed to be at odds with each other. We're not supposed to be eat up with, with bitterness and jealousy. We're not supposed to wrong one another. We're not supposed to be at odds with God. Our world is fundamentally upside down. And the scope of it is why. The scope of it is deep. And the light that Jesus shined into the darkness of the world that he lived in and into our darkness today shows the reality of that. His light shined into the darkness and revealed all that the darkness covered up. And that's part of the reason Jesus winds up being crucified. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Jesus was not gathering an army. Jesus was not taking up arms. No, he was teaching, he was healing, but he had to be stopped because those words and those actions had shown the rot underneath the religious facade the world he lived in. Yet his light wasn't just shining to show ugliness. It wasn't just a zoom out to show you how bad the upside down is. His light, uh, in fact, the primary purpose for Jesus shining his light into our world is to shine the way home. It reveals the darkness, yes, but the reason the light shines is not just to show how bad things are. It's to light the way home. It's to show the beauty of God and the grace that can be ours if we turn from this upside down and turn to him. Now, Jesus hits at some of that. The passage we looked at last week, you guys remember we talked about uh, Jesus uses the image of um, we are the vine, or he is the vine and we are the branches. He spoke about he is the root of flourishing. And so his love for us is, is meant to be our strength, our encouragement, our nourishment, where we find our all. That's the root. And then the fruit of that is love. We are loved into loving. He loves us and we are loved into loving. This root and this fruit of flourishing. And that's what we talked about last week. And what Jesus turns to next is the question, what does it look like to be a community of people who find him as our root 
in a world that is still fundamentally upside down in so many ways? What does it mean for us to pursue being a community who loves others well when we're in the upside down? And Jesus gives an answer in this passage that we, uh, that I don't like, at least. He tells us that sometimes pursuing being a community of love and being individuals who love what Jesus loves means being misunderstood, opposed, mocked, maybe even hated. Here Jesus speaks about His own ministry, and He speaks about how it's going to continue after His crucifixion and resurrection. He'll ascend to the Father. He'll send the Holy Spirit. And how will Jesus' ministry continue after that? Through His community of people. This community defined by love. So at the end of this passage, He speaks of three specific categories. You may have noticed it. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's kind of sin, righteousness, religion, um, and judgment. And that's kind of how we're going to break this uh, passage down to get our minds around it. So to, to talk about the upside down. So the first section here is the wrong of our world, sin, sin. How is our world wrong in terms of sin? How is, how is the world we inhabit wrong in terms of sin? And we say sin and, uh, you know, our minds might be populated with a definition. But Scripture speaks about sin in a number of different ways. It speaks about sin as transgression of God's law. It speaks about it as cosmic rebellion against God. It speaks about it as a slave master over our hearts or a darkness that covers the world like a blanket. But how is our world wrong about sin, where we live lives that so often disregard God and disregard others? Well, I think the problem is, one of the biggest problems, is we don't realize how deep the roots are of sin and wrong in our world run. But sometimes we don't see that. That Jesus shows us as individuals as a in whole and as a whole that the world we inhabit is maybe a whole lot worse than we even realize. That the root of the wrong of our world runs much deeper than just our actions. That our desires are marred. That the ways we think are darkened. That the structures we build in our world reflect this. But just like I said earlier, Jesus shows us this not just to make us depressed about where we live and who we are. He shows us this so that we might see the greater truth. Not just that we are far more sinful than we can imagine, but that we are far more loved in Him than we could ever dream. He shows us the depth and the darkness of sin so that we might see the glory of His light and the power of His grace. Because His grace overcomes the power of sin. Because His grace runs to the deepest places to forgive, to cleanse, to heal, to free, to redeem. Now to those who will not turn to Jesus and see the beauty of this grace, His light will not seem like a good thing. The light that He shines will only show the ugliness of sin, and so it's a light to be avoided. Yet Jesus continues this work of shining His light into the sin of our world through His Holy Spirit and through even us so that people may see His grace and flee to Him for forgiveness. Now, how does Jesus do this through us? Well, we could list a number of things, but one of the ways He doesn't do this is by deputizing us into moral policemen. 
It's easy for Christians to do that, particularly in a place like Southern church culture. Christians sometimes feel like we are deputized by God to be everybody else's moral policemen. Um, and that is not what it is. Our job is not ever, ever, ever to look down on somebody else. Jesus actually makes this point in this passage. He tells his disciples, he's speaking about the world and them, the world and them. But he makes it very clear, I chose you out of the world. The only thing that, the only difference between us and the person who has made uh, the, the worst mess we can imagine out of their lives is grace, period. It's grace, all grace. If it wasn't for grace, we would be utterly deluded and lost. It's all grace. And if God's, and this is the hope in this, if God's grace has found us, it can find anyone. God's grace has found me and continues to strive with me to love me, it can find anybody. And that can make us a people, even in the face of sometimes opposition and misunderstanding, people with profound hope. Even when we're made to feel silly or maybe even stupid for believing in Jesus, which may happen on occasion. Somebody may mock you. Somebody may look down on you. But we can be people who abound in hope because grace has found us and God's grace continues to be at work in this world. And we can join Jesus in this work by being people who take loving others well, seriously. We can begin to love sacrificially. We can boast of Him and not ourselves in our strengths and our weaknesses. We can cling to His grace and the freedom that it gives us to live into who He has made us to be and who He's making us to be. So that's the first area, sin that we are, our world is wrong about sin because it doesn't realize how deep it runs, but that also means they do not understand, and sometimes we do not understand the magnitude of His grace. Second uh, uh, category that Jesus talks about is righteousness. And so when uh, the Gospel of John uses this word righteousness, it means more or less what we mean when our word religion. So to say that Jesus shows the truth about righteousness, it means that Jesus shows the emptiness of religion that's detached from the heart of God. The emptiness of religion that's detached from the heart of God. Because in, in one way, all religious actions across the world are attempts for us to fix what is wrong. We recognize something's wrong, or religions fill the gap. We need to take this action or that action to fix what is wrong. But when our religious actions and thoughts are not flowing from an understanding of who God is, the God who seeks us in love to bring us home to Him, our religions only become performance and pretension. And when we only have the religious trappings, the religious stuff, without a deep-seated conviction that we are loved by God who is guiding us in love, then the religious trappings just keep us trapped. That's all they can do. Religion detached from the heart of God and only keep us trapped. Jesus shows this, and he is telling his disciples that his Holy Spirit through them will continue to show this. That the community of love that they are being formed into is one that surrounds the promises and the love of God, and that brings freedom, and it is a freedom that the religious trappings cannot understand. 
That's part of the reason they're going to face opposition. Which I don't know if you've thought of this. So usually when Christians say the world, we usually mean, or Christians usually mean, out there. We'll say the world and we mean somebody who's like in direct opposition to God. Maybe somebody who's an atheist who's, you know, I don't believe in God. But when Jesus is speaking here about the world, he's mostly talking about religious people. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. In this passage, when Jesus is speaking about the world that is going to be opposed to his people, he's not speaking of some atheistic folks who are going to be coming after them. Maybe that'll happen later on too. He's speaking about deeply religious people. People who actually on paper would have agreed with him on most things. They would have had the same scriptures. They would have had the same, we believe in one God. A lot of the same uh, things on paper, they looked like they would agree. But it was these religious people who most passionately opposed Jesus. And that was true the disciples experienced later on as well. Notice when he tells them that living by love in this world is going to be being misunderstood, opposed, and hated. They're going to be later thrown out of the synagogues which for all of his disciples here that he's speaking to were Jewish. That was the very center of community life. The absolute center of community life. Jesus is telling them to pursue uh, being a community who loves well and who speaks of me as the arrival of love into this world. You're going to be opposed by religious people who think they're doing a service to God. Religious people who could not bear that the light of Jesus was revealing how crooked the world that they lived in had become. This made me think this week. A few years ago, I saw a documentary on PBS. Uh, WNC actually did it, the the station out of Chapel Hill. And uh, it was a, a documentary specifically about the Ku Klux Klan in North Carolina in the 1960s. So 1960s, the Klan in North Carolina had more members than all the other southern states combined. Um, and uh, it, it was looking at, at some of the recruitment stuff that they had done. And what the Klan did in the 60s, in North Carolina at least, is they didn't have private meetings in the woods. They didn't have hooded meetings in the woods. They had big public rallies. They'd have concerts and carnivals. There'd be speakers and music and food. And what did these speakers talk about? The speakers would get up and they'd say, we're defending an important Christian way of life. That this way of society, the way it's structured, this white supremacy, this is the Christian way of life and we've got to keep it going. And what songs would be like? This is actually what floored me. So I'm watching this documentary and one of the clan anthems is a song called Old Rugged Cross. A song that I have sung uh, hundreds of times in my life. Not, this is not a song written for the Klan. It was not written by the Klan. But it became this anthem at these rallies for this group that was dedicated to squashing down people who were not like them. This song about the cross of Jesus. It blew me away to think about it. That that was one of the anthems. And who was the clan opposing? I don't know if you've ever thought about this or, or, or done much history reading, but 
The civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s was propelled by black churches. That was the meeting place. The reverends were the leaders that were organizing so much of the work. And on paper, the folks who are singing Old Rugged Cross at the Klan meetings and the people who are rallying um, for the civil rights marches, they believe in the same Bible. They sing lots of the same songs. They believe lots of the same things on paper. But the leadership of the Klan was convinced, was convinced that they were right, religiously convinced. How could this happen? Well, I think it was a fundamental refusal to ask hard questions about themselves. It was, uh, and that's a warning, I think, to us, to anyone thinking about this. Because it is, it is possible on paper to have the right so-called structures, I guess. It's possible to think we have everything right because we have our Bible, because we believe in the right God and say a lot of the right words, but wind up in a place where our actions and our words, the things we think matter, are completely warped. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not Jesus. I'm not, a, I'm not one of the civil rights um, folks in the 50s or 60s, but um, in my own experience, some of the most malicious, vindictive, and mean-spirited things I've ever had said to me or said to others have come from people who say they know the grace of Jesus and are seeking to follow Him. And that's a tragedy, but it's true. Some of the most vindictive and mean-spirited things I've ever heard have come out of the mouths of good church people or pastors. Um, and so the light of Jesus shines uh, into this, showing the depth of sin we spoke about with, with uh, how our world's wrong about sin. But he also shows us the emptiness of religion that's detached from the heart of God, that has a lot of the trappings, that has a lot of the things right, but misses the fundamental reality of who Jesus is. So that's the first two. And the final one that Jesus speaks about here is judgment. Jesus shows that the judgment of this world is false and skewed. Think about it. People that do not understand the depth of the trouble in our world and do not understand the emptiness of religion detached from the heart of God cannot look at, the, uh, look at others and rightly judge. We can't. They'll inevitably show favoritism or be unduly harsh. Jesus speaks here of this being tied to Satan. He calls him the prince of this world. And what he's, the point he's making there is not that Satan has a throne somewhere where he reigns over the world, but what he's saying is that the darkness of our world, the darkness of this upside down, is not something that just happened by accident. It's not an impersonal darkness that just exists. It's a personal darkness. It's directly opposed to God and who he is. And when we speak of Satan this way, when we speak of the power of spiritual darkness, it's not meant to strike fear in our hearts. I think sometimes we can say Satan or uh, demon or spiritual darkness, and our minds are immediately populated with images from The Exorcist or Hollywood, um, you know, horror movies, that kind of thing. 
But the point Jesus is making is that the confusion about sin and righteousness and the skewing of judgment in our world are no accidents. But of course, we are not without hope in this. As Jesus says here, his cross is the exposing of the lies of Satan in an important way, a blow to his power. In fact, Jesus speaks in another passage. He, he defines his entire ministry as this. He is coming into Satan's house, the strong man's house, and binding him to plunder that house. Satan thinks he's won an important uh, uh, victory in this world, but God will not leave it that way. God is committed to a rescue mission. God is committed um, in Jesus to bind the power of spiritual darkness to bring freedom and light. We should have a great hope in this. Because as Jesus says in our final verse, Satan now stands condemned. And the good news of that is this, that the confusion that marks this world, the ugliness we spoke about, it all has an end date. It all has an end date. Its reign must come to an end because King Jesus will bring it to an end. And that brings me to my final section, a community of love. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus is telling his disciples all of this because he's about to face his crucifixion, where he will wear the sin, our sin, so that God can visit his judgment on sin justly without us being swallowed up. And three days later, he'll be raised from the dead in vindication, which serves as the dawning of a new creation in our world, a promise that death is not the end, that death cannot have the final word about us. And Jesus knows that soon after that, he'll ascend to heaven, and he'll send his Holy Spirit, not limited in physical space, his Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, who will live with and within his disciples, empowering them to become this community defined by love. And they're going to be misunderstood. They're going to be rejected. They're going to be opposed. But through them and through us, a different world that it otherwise seems impossible in this upside down, a different world is possible. In them, in us, the ways of this world, the hostility, the sin, the hatred, it can be shown to be a fraud because a different way is possible. A new creation has come. Jesus will set his people free. And those communities of freedom will be an open door to all around to come from the places where they are used up and worn out to find forgiveness and healing. And that's our calling now in the world that we inhabit. We can realize that so much is still upside down. So much is still wrong about this world. But the lies that have an end date, and Jesus has told us that, don't have to be the only message that is heard. In this community, in our small church, and we may be few right now, but we are some. We may be few, but we are some. And we can do little, but empowered by God, we can do something. We can love. And that's a profound thing in a place like the world we live in. We can be people of compassion and people of service. We can be people who give. We can be people who share our lives with others. And as we follow Jesus in this, we can watch 
in front of us, within us, a different world come to life for us, for our children, for our neighborhoods, for our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that the light of Jesus shines into our darkness. And though we see much we don't want to see, we see the ugliness and the upside-downness of where we live. You also show us the greater vision, the greater light of your grace. And so, Lord, uh, uh, convince us, God, that we yes, are far more sinful than we can imagine, but are far more loved than we could ever dream. Convince us, Lord, to never trust in the emptiness of religion that's detached from your heart, that we may never be satisfied with religious trappings that don't have a fundamental conviction at their heart that we are loved by you. And convince us to not be people of judgment, so skewed in this world, but let us be people of service and compassion. Form us together by your Spirit to be a community of love and call through us a different way of life that is possible in this world out. Make it a reality. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.